Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bearers, people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous community from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to John Hitchcock. Born in Lawton, Oklahoma, he's of Kiowa and Comanche descent. He's a printmaker, a musician, an educator. His CV is as long and as adventurous as they come. He's been an artist in residence in Shanghai, China, Belgium, and Italy, South Africa, and Argentina, and he's exhibited across this country. He's, he received his BFA at Cameron University in Lawton, Oklahoma and his MFA in printmaking and photography at Texas Tech University, and is currently Associate Dean of Arts at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where he also teaches. But what makes John so interesting is his ability to collaborate, to be able to connect with people. He's got this disarming manner to him that just draws you to him. Almost everyone I know has interacted with him, and vice versa. So let's jump into this conversation with your friend and mine, John Hitchcock. John, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's really great to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm excited about this. Oh, I am too. I am too. Uh, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your yourself and your background? Yeah, I'm John Hitchcock. I'm an artist and a professor at the University of Couple seasons. Yeah, <laughs> seasoned player, sort of. What's um, so? I've been following you on social media for a while, and I've seen a lot of um, uh, some live streams. I think you've been doing uh, some videos. Is there a, a, a band or a group that you work with? Well, I've enjoyed seeing those. Uh, yeah, it's always it's always great to see um, artists who are also musicians uh, who are just sort of in a number of different things. Uh, it seems like we have that creativity that just it's not bound by just one medium. Spoken word and, and 
was is that recording is that has that been preserved is that uh yeah so Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, so you grew up in, in Oklahoma, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, I grew up on a Yankee tribal land in Oklahoma. My mother's side of the family is here in Iowa, and my dad ended up from Michigan moving there. He went to Europe, Northern European, and he descended, but he ended up in the military at Fort Sill and during the Korean War, and that's where he met my mom, and, um, and ended up settling. grandfather was a drummer um, at, he was part of a, a drum group in, that was intertribal drum based at Sitting Lake Powwow. So I grew up going to Powwow in Burma Bay, which is a huge island. So one of the things that, that I learned how to do drawing was from my grandmother and it was her pieces. So she would have me sit down and, and I would learn the ability to think creatively make decisions and make judgments through action by drawing. And one of the things that happened is that I would sit down and she would have her beads out and she would ask me to design something. And she would show me a sample and ask me to look at it and then translate that in a piece of a paper bag and I would start drawing on it. And then she would say, I want you to go outside and draw flowers. And she would say, look at the, the rose bushes making these drawings and coming back and bringing it into her and she's looking at it and realizing you're kind of giving me a critique here. Okay, that looks good, but hey, maybe we should um, draw another one. So <laughs> in the process of going through it and and then, then I came back into the house and she had me another paper bag and said, okay, so now I want you to basically create a, a design. So what design? Use your imagination. really set me up for the reality of what drawing could do and then how this process of beadworking kind of functioned for my grandmother mm -hmm. and then how for me drawing could be a way of you know moving forward and, 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 and learning from life. Mm. That's fascinating that um your, your grandmother would critique your her your work in, yeah. in kind of her own way because I think so often so many of us who are young artists you know when we're growing up everyone always says oh you're so good you're so good and all we get is a positive feedback and um we don't really fall into that world of critiques until we're in college and at that point it's sort of um uh then it's 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 part of the the process that we learn in school but yeah often though we don't get that early on yeah I think it was positive though oh absolutely yeah of what line can do and I didn't really understand then that my grandmother was laying a foundation of this is design and anything we teach as professors and teachers or art teachers are showing the mechanics of how you put a shape together how you put lines into that how color goes into that and then using your imagination and then working on actual observations hmm. Yeah, I, th I think that's and great. I think the other thing is that, that she learned how to do beadwork primarily from being in um, the boarding school and uh, being at uh, a boarding school in Ozark, Oklahoma, Riverside, when, when she was little. And so that ability for her to learn the process was from other 
school there that might that were in a mission library or the other tribes and culture they were people that were not skilled in learning these techniques and were passed down mm -hmm. so that was kind of a magical moment thinking about it later going back and oh wow she learned how to do some of this line work and pattern from others and, and the idea of giving and sharing and knowledge and, and then the other end of it it would be tying in some of that information is is was being um, asked to not uh, be associated with culture or to ask to, to uh, abstain from doing it. And so there was a way of, of, of putting a pressure to pushing it out of the culture. And um, so it was direct, sir, sir, I guess I'm trying to find a word, but in a, in a way, um, the colonization component of it was all built into it. So there's this level of suppression that wasn't allowed, but, but through this time of her doing art and craft with fellow native people, she was able to explore different possibilities. And I know you were guided by Grandma Holder to think, wow, the performance of this is incredibly complex that uh, as you ask questions about it, as you're unraveling um, particularly in, in general culture, I think kind of close to that point is um, a lot of artists uh, from that time period, uh, you know, because during the 20th century, the, the first three quarters of the 20th century, um, it, our culture was being suppressed. You know, we weren't permitted to do our ceremonies. Uh, a lot of the old ways were, um, were, were really forbidden at a legal level. And a way that was sort of subverted was through the arts, uh, well, through indigenous arts. Um, I know like Oscar Howe, he would do a lot, and his generation would do these paintings, and they would put their ceremonies in those paintings or aspects of ceremony, and that was a way of preserving and communicating uh, some of those things that they weren't openly able to talk about. And it kind of sounds maybe that may have been a little bit of that experience at that time. Yeah, I think there's a reality within uh, any culture, and particularly around you know, indigenous culture, that there's an ability to allow family members and other relatives and other tribal people to understand each other. However, there's always been this knowledge of doesn't need to be in a secular space mm -hmm. it's not as important to them as it is is not uh, important to that that space it's, it's more important to the, the tribal people so indigenous culture is by itself that where those things should be mm -hmm. and that's a protection and it's, it's, it's an important thing as we exist we lose we look at artists that have broken into more of a main cultural references that are part of that and how much is given, how much is kept, and how much is taken. Mm -hmm. That's where we get into where culture is dynamic and that it, it, it's, it's important to realize that I think any artist that we can only give so much without giving the whole thing. True, true. Uh, let's Let's uh, talk about, I and mean, we've been talking about your influences with family, but um, can you talk a little bit more about your influences? Okay, yeah. So you mentioned Oscar Howe, and Oscar Howe is a very important artist for many of us, and, and I think one of the things for me, looking at an artist of when I was little that I saw everywhere in Oklahoma was Would You Watch It Baker, and Would You was an important Comanche artist, painter, but also a war dancer, and was well-known within Oklahoma. And, and I didn't realize how influential he was until I got older, and I saw his work in all my, my relatives' homes, and through the reproductions, and, and the, the lore around of the importance of, of painting and what, what he um, done. I did Navajoya, Dr. Navajoya, and um, 
those are two huge influences that took place. But out of that, I look at the artists too that are dealing with the politics of, 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 of contemporary culture. In uh, Edgar Hickenberg is another artist from Oklahoma. Taught at the University of Oklahoma for many years. Was a brilliant mentor to me and many artists. And Edgar uh, Hickenberg did a, a had a vision and a way of The bigger picture of the art world and how that functions, mm. and then the function of being an indigenous person in this world and what that means. And I think watching him shift over time and being on the cover of Art in America and through the big project in Denver, the wheel, there's so many projects he's, he's done that have been groundbreaking that will outlive beyond, um, in many cases, a lot of work that he's doing out there. And I think that's important. I've always saw that um, James Luna was another artist that was, you know, mystified in, in a way because of the power of what he was saying out there and what he could do. And that, that's the mystery. Like, wow, and he would have this, this cut, dry humor and, and this over-the-top humor that you could understand and don't understand and it would be awesome. And he didn't seem to catch some of it and non-natives were like, well, what's he saying? And it was hilarious on one side and think, oh, that's some tough stuff. And there's a lot of pain in there. Yeah. Um, definitely, Jean-Claude Petit Smith was another big artist and uh, kind soul who has reached out, still reaches out and reaches out to everyone. He's always finding the young people and the up-and-coming artists and helping them in any way. And it's something that I've learned from her years ago. I used to teach at the University of Minnesota Morris remember I got an email from her one time and said, oh, I think this is good. Wow, this is awesome. What, what do I need to do? I'm ready. And, and she asked me if I would be willing to speak about her work at this um, in New Hampshire. Sure. And her her thoughts on it was that, yes, you can, you can will you speak about my work? But I do have a request that the, I, want, I can't do this, but I need someone to go and be there and to talk about my artwork, but in general, um, that's not the, that's, that show will be there, so talk about the work in the gallery. However, I want you to look up five contemporary Native artists, indigenous artists that are taking art now, and I want you to do a slide talk and do your presentation and talk about them. And that was empowering because it made people, made me look at going on about artists, but I, I know that um, during that time, there was a lot of unique work uh, happening by the combination of uh, installation and performance. This is the 90s when indigenous artists are putting out his gratitude and all these shirts in the 90s, and Guillermo Gomez Pena was another creative that I know with James Luna collaborated. Rebecca Bellamore, um, and they put on their unique installation, and the sound component of what Rebecca Bellamore was doing was also important to me. And I, I think, I'm trying to think of uh, Kay Walking Stick, another artist of that time frame, or James Labrador, who's very foreshadowed. You know, these are artists that have uh, sustained giving more to other community and continuing to give back to the community. I think that that's compelling. Hmm. I, I'm stuck on uh, Jean-Claude to see Smith uh, story. Um, she was a guest on this up on this uh, series. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, so often what happens is once these, these, uh, these interviews are done, uh, we, we kind of carry on conversations afterwards. And the majority of that conversation I had with her after the recording was done is she was asking me about all these young artists, you know, um, that and I think lucky for me, I knew the majority of the artists that she was asking about. And at the end of it, uh, she wanted me to send her um, their emails because she wanted to check in with them. 
And I thought that was just so sweet, you know, that um, as accomplished as she is, as much as she's done, she's so focused on the, the, the young ones that are still coming up and trying to make their way. And then her willingness to reach out to them. I thought that was very wonderful. Marwin. Yeah, and with Marwin, there's always an intentionality with his messages, you know. And of course, we, we can't talk about Marwin without his wife Heather, who yeah. is such an amazing person. Yeah. yeah. So um, your career, uh, how, has, how have you developed your career, uh, both in college and post-college? Sometimes that team, I think by developing a network, whatever it takes, you got to develop a network as a creative, and then 
network might be of peers that are into the same thing, so it's like Chris, Chris might be or Kelsey is the boss around here, or let's say it's the museum gallery space, so Rick has that space of curator, that takes critics, writers, galleries, dealers, and collectors, and I think if you were to look at this as a mechanism, and every genre cultural situation will have it too. There's going to be a curator, a writer, or a collector, and a dealer in all of those situations. And I know it sounds vague, but it's like there, if you take the simplicity of those components and look at the mechanism, and then what do you want out of it, and where do you go to find the best path for your work? Cooperate, have a cooperation being nice. I think nice is key. Um, making good work is also crucial. Mm -hmm. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. I mean, what about being nice? True. And then the biggest one is art, is being on time. Be on time is just not acceptable. Just don't answer. <laughs> and being nice and on time, yeah. and making good work. Yeah, no, that that's a really great point. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to, I think. What do I? How do I want to say this? Um, being yeah, being on time um, is definitely a key from, say, from the manager curator point of view. You know, um, you try to set things up with people, and if if you're banking on on somebody or working with somebody and they don't meet deadlines or they just constantly have excuses um, and they stop, I don't say producing, but, you know, at some point you have to look at somebody else, you know, because there's a lot of hungry people out there and you definitely want to work with those who, who are willing to put in the work and time, you know. Um, I have a Lloyd Menard story for you. Uh, I was a undergrad. It was 96, um, probably 97 at this point. And uh, we were doing critiques and, you know, we had all our stuff up on the walls and Lloyd was kind of going through. Um, and Lloyd is, is, it's kind of a tough nut to crack and he's very honest, you know, and sometimes his critiques while are absolutely vital and important, sometimes the, sometimes uh, it goes a little too deep, sometimes like that. And so, and that's sort of expected sometimes, you know, um, with, with any prof professor or any, any class. Um, so Lloyd's going through, and there was a fellow student at the time. Uh, he was, he is indigenous um, and a, an amazing draftsman. The guy could draw, outdraw all of us. And this guy was, it seemed like he was destined for, for really great things. And Lloyd gets to him. And says almost uh, verbatim, you are one of the best draftsmen I have ever taught in my career. And of course, you know, this, this, this kid's ego already was, I mean, his, he could barely hold his head on his, on his shoulders. And he was just like, okay, awesome. You know, so he is the, yeah, he, he, he felt like he was the chosen one. The problem is, is that he didn't have discipline and he drew what he wanted to draw when he wanted to draw. 
And I think he eventually dropped out his second year. And, you know, I, my network goes far and wide. Um, he's not on the radar anywhere. I'm gonna And there, therein lies the the story is for us to keep coming back every day, come back with something, you know, keep, keep, stay disciplined, you know, keep working at it, you know, and I, I honestly feel that the best of us aren't here because they, they, their ego and that entitlement sort of took over and they stopped coming back to the table because they, maybe they settled on something that they did or something that they were doing. And they said, that's it. I'm good enough and stopped. Maybe they weren't as hungry as, as, Many others, I don't know, but yeah, I think the hunger is unique because I've reached a stage now where I've taught a long time and I've had a lot of personal health issues that have really woken me up to realize, oh wait, I'm not that huge of a person. This is real. I have a health situation that really uh, shifted life, and, and that's a new. more like I got to show myself that I need to do this so that I can have another day. Mm -hmm. Have another day, I'm going to make that. And have another day, I'm going to make that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Discipline has to change. It's just modified. <laughs> Adapted. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of adapting, um, let's talk about opportunities. Because yeah. uh, I think opportunities shift. Um as, as one moves th through their career. And so how have opportunities both presented themselves or how have you sought out opportunities uh, in, in your career? what what it meant yet until I got into the academic teaching job, how I could help with these types of programs or create programs or support students who are involved with programs like that. And I think that that's been many years of, of trying to cultivate some sense of organization through print making. And I think that that has been a way of functioning in academia. 
work of the everyday in the studio car has been different until my shift became moving more into making work that is more thought out and has a clarity to it and, and it's got its voice in the work and it has a political social agenda to it attached to it that's been there the whole time and I think just recently I've had the opportunity to actually participate in the arena and I think being in the arena means being able to show the work at various like museums and galleries um, you know this current Wasn't Athena to Latoka just out there? Yeah. yeah. And it's also um, Edgar Hoover's at PS1 had a show of his monoplane that yeah. was there. And then uh, Brad Callhammer, I don't know if you know Brad. Oh, I know Brad, yeah, yeah. So Brad yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, he's a guitar guy too. Yeah, he's a musician, awesome. Um, jammed with him, he's incredible. You've jammed with him? Yeah. Oh, he's a Wisconsin guy, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, he had, we recorded something with him, which uh, it's not out or done yet, but we're, we have recorded oh, and COVID hit and it's still in the mix. So okay. We went to the Smithsonian, not the Smithsonian, T.C. Cannon was at the Smithsonian too. I'm like, wow, T.C. Cannon, Edgar Hooverberg, uh, Mick McClanahan, this huge piece on the side of the Whitney, and you go in and Jesse Gibson's giant tapestry and Laura Orton, you know, performance pieces. I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. And then, then we went to the Metropolitan Museum, and we're at the Met, and they had this show that was up that included Queen's work and 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 it was just it was incredible experience and then also being shown around with Brad like shown shown around shown shown around town by Brad who's a New Yorker he just lived there for years oh yeah originally from Wisconsin Mm -hmm. um that was an enlightening experience Mm. I I'm envious of that experience. <laughs> that that'd be. I'm envious of that experience. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of something else. That, that whole trip was just. Um, it, was, it was a wonderful moment. I was. Uh, I think 2018. Okay. Okay. We. Uh, I curated a show for Brad um, about a year and a half, two years ago, um, at the Plains. And yeah, his, his aesthetic, the sort of that punk um, indigenous viewpoint. What does he call it? Um, well, I mean, uh, so many indigenous artists, we talk about the, the, the dual, the dual worlds, but he had, he had something specific that he used. Um, yeah. But anyways, it's, uh, it's exciting to, to hear that you've performed together. You've created works together. I think that's, that's I so good. Mm-hmm. I know that he was in a band in the same band before. Um, he's got these incredible songs that, that he needs to be they need to be an album. Mm. That's what I we talked about it. Like he's he's gotta get an album. I will definitely make that song have a feel. Like we've already played and recorded that and yeah. I'm so excited. I just got into pedal steel recently. That's how I, I got into pedal steel and love it when I saw Lloyd Lane play. Basically plays um, in so many important albums, whether country albums, but he's in the pedal steel. Mm-hmm. And so like that's that's him. And you know, Terry Allen, I just got to hear Terry Allen. Terry Allen is like that's a whole other genre, a whole other world. And so that's to me is looking at these different ways of thinking and how they they come together. I think is just important. Mm. Yeah, I feel bad we have not been able to finish that. It's, it's, it's been recorded, but it hasn't been mixed or any of that. It's just the raw data. Okay, okay. Oh, I, I hope I hope it happens sooner than later. I, th- <laughs> I, I vaguely recall about a year and a half ago, um, I think it was on Facebook. I think you guys were doing some Facebook Live. Because I, I remember you playing. That was him and me. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. I, was, I threw it on Facebook. I, I, I Mm-hmm. And like I had today is like one of the first days I didn't touch the Instagram. Okay. 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 I took a bunch of pictures, but normally I take it live and put them up. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I can't keep up with uh, keeping up. One thing I've never done is um, like an Instagram live session. You know, this would have been kind of cool to do live. <sighs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, final question: um, What would what would you want to say to the, the eighteen to twenty two year old, the young person listening to this conversation? It's something somebody said to me once about having curiosity, and I remember hearing somebody else say that. 
Portland has um, experimented on some of the questions you raised and knowing that your expectations are not going to be met. However, with curiosity, reapplying the ability to make the thing and do the thing in the most important way. Hmm. I think that's a tough thing to learn with this year. Messing up. So get messy. That's one thing. And since you know that it's it, it's hard work, but I think perseverance and the ability to keep moving and keep keep going and getting back up and um, not having that attitude and being curious about life and what's fruitful and what you want to succeed in and what giving your day as you live and observe. thing is being nice to each other and how do we be nice and on the other end um, have the ability to give you know give back and give back to the people that love community hmm. where where can where can people find your work Okay. Okay. We'll we'll put links to these in, in the show notes so people can okay, uh, cool. click on there. So yeah, yeah. John, thank you so much. This is really fun. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the opportunity for me to drive to come over. Couldn't miss it. <laughs> I really couldn't miss it. So thank you. And that does it for this episode of Five Playing Questions. I want to thank John again for his time and sharing his story with us. During the conversations surrounding this this interview, uh, John and I realized that we actually had a parallel path together for a short time in the late 90s. Um, he, when he was in Lawton, I was at Fort Sill uh, in basic training in AIT, and then we both moved from that place to Morris, Minnesota at the same time. Now, we were both in yard building together at the same time. He was a printmaker, I was an illustrator, and I do remember seeing him, but we just didn't, we weren't in the same circles, and so we didn't connect at that time. And then when he was at Frogman's at USD, I was also a student there too, and I was in the area at that time. Uh, the last time we actually did cross paths and, and interact was a few years back. I was an intern at the Plains Art Museum, and the University of South Dakota had um, brought a press up to the Plains Art Museum. Uh, Amanda Heights uh, had an artist in residence program, and John was part of that. And so uh, we connected that way. Amanda was very excited to connect both him and myself. She is the print manager at uh, Hannah Hur's print studio at the Plains Art Museum. And uh, just a fantastic individual. If, if you're ever there, you got to meet her. Um, her energy is amazing. That being said, um, you know, we connected, and he was a really great guy. And I've when I started this podcast, he was definitely one of my top individuals I want to get onto this onto this uh, program. So I'm excited that this happened. So, John, this was great. I can't wait to see you next time. That being said, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. And I want to give a very special thank you and a shout out to Karen Goulet and the Watermark Art Center in Bemidji, Minnesota, who hosted the space that we had uh, this interview. Um, currently, John Hitchcock has an exhibition called Bury the Hatchet at the Watermark Art Center. If you're in the area, you need to go check it out. It's a, first off, the Watermark is a beautiful center. Um, the space and the, the thoughtfulness they put into this exhibition is really, really uh, great to, 
to walk through experience. So please, if you have a chance, go check it out. Say hello to Karen and listen to her episode. She gave a really thoughtful, very in-depth conversation, and it is worth going back to and hearing. So yes, so thank you, Karen and the Watermark, uh, for your hospitality. It was absolutely wonderful. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me at Canna. That's C-A-N-A-A. Creativity among Native American artists on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the PlainsArt.org website. There you can see our programming and past videos that these podcasts. Uh, just a quick programming note. Um, we are wrapping up uh, Roger Brower's Things I Remember uh, exhibition. Um, it's still here through the weekend, so if you get a chance, come check it out. Uh, we still have the Northern Plains Art Institute exhibition on the third floor of the Creativity Center and Laura Youngbird's Bias exhibition on the first floor of the Creativity Center. I do apologize for my voice this episode. <laughs> I caught a summer cold. Um, but, uh, you know, it happens. You, know, you, you survive COVID, you make it through the pandemic, only to walk out with a cold. But that's okay. All right. Well, if you have any suggestions for someone for me to interview, please uh, look me up on social media and message me. I'd really like to hear from you. All right. You take care, and we will talk next week. <laughs>